Okay, here we go. Uh, we have a huge topic to talk about today. And, and to, my, to be honest, we're just going to hit the tip of the iceberg on this one. Uh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And I believe that there is so much to learn about the Holy Spirit. And I feel like I'm still learning. And uh, I'll probably be learning for the rest of my life. Of course, the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, uh, the three parts of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But think about if I tried to talk about God the Father in one week or, or God the Son, which is Jesus, in one week. It'd be impossible, right, to get a full grasp. And, and, you know, there's been tons of books written about the Holy Spirit. So hopefully today we can just whet the appetite a little bit. You know, it seems like people feel like they, they understand uh, pretty well, God the Father, they understand pretty well uh, God the Son, but many of us seem to be a little uncomfortable with the Spirit uh, for some reason. We don't quite get it or it makes us a little uneasy to think about it. You know, when I was younger, uh, growing up in the church, uh, they often still referred to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost because that's how the King James Version translated it and the New International Version was pretty new, but that seemed really weird to me. And they would say, well, when you become a Christian, the Holy Ghost would live inside of you. And I thought, well, I don't want a ghost living inside of me. And that's kind of weird and spooky. Uh, why would I want a ghost inside of me? And, you know, I realized now um, that it was, it was first translated as, as ghost in the early 1600s when the, the King James Bible first came out. And it didn't have the same connotation that we have today for ghosts. It, it wasn't received as a weird or, or spooky thing. And, and of course, modern day translations have changed the, the translation uh, to Holy Spirit instead of Holy Ghost. But that was my first impression of the Holy Spirit. And as I got a little older, I realized that it wasn't a ghost living inside of Christians. It was God. And, and that seemed much more acceptable to my 10-year-old mind. So here we go. Let, let me start with just kind of several statements or facts about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the fact is that the Bible talks about the Spirit of God and and various names for the Spirit, a ton. And over 800 times it's mentioned throughout Scripture. And in fact, in just the second verse of the Bible, we have a mention of the Spirit. It says in, in Genesis 1-2, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so God the Spirit has been around since the beginning. The, the Spirit was, was a part of the creation of the world. We see very clearly in Matthew 28, 19, that the Spirit is connected directly with the other parts of God, but also distinct. Uh, when Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Each person of the Trinity is fully and equally God, yet each is distinct, and each has a distinct role. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is, is mostly referred to as the Spirit, the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, the main word for Spirit in the Old Testament is the word ruach, which literally means a wind or a breath, but, but not a normal breath. It, it means a, a violent exhalation or a blast of breath. The Spirit is a person rather than an impersonal force. Okay, the Spirit creates and gives life and understands and communicates not a person as in skin and, uh, you know, with skin and hair and teeth, but the, the essence of a person. And I think that's one of the things that is hard for us to grasp, but the spirit is a distinct personality. 
And then in the New Testament, the, the main Greek word that is translated as spirit is the word pneuma. And it means a wind or a, a current or, or air or blast of breath. And, and so it's the same concept as the Old Testament. And that's because it's the, the same spirit. Uh, you can't see wind, but you can see the results of wind. You can see wind moving the branches of a tree and, and you can feel the, the wind blowing in your face. And so with the Holy Spirit, you can feel and see the effects of it working in people's lives. The Bible teaches that you receive the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. Uh, the timing of receiving the Holy Spirit is a, a subject to, of a lot of debate. Uh, I will say that, that God can choose to give us His Holy Spirit whenever He wants to. Okay, we see that in Scripture. In the book of Acts, we have different instances of different timing of receiving the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, people often receive the Holy Spirit temporarily. Uh, God gave people the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose at a specific time and place. But in the early church, the normal timing of receiving the Holy Spirit is when people believed in Jesus and were baptized by immersion. Um, the biggest passage where that comes from is Acts 2, 38 and 39, after Peter had preached the first Christian sermon that we have recorded. And it says people were cut to the heart and they asked, well, what should we do? And it says in verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So the gift of the Holy Spirit is promised through repentance and baptism. You receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in response to faith. And once we receive the Spirit, it dwells within us. For example, listen to this, it's really cool. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. So the Holy Spirit resides in us. We are now God's temple, and I think that's a pretty big responsibility, don't you? But when you think about the fact that as a Christian, you have God living inside of you, not a little mini version of God, but a full part of the Trinity inside of you, it can almost be a little overwhelming or almost scary at times. But I really want us to be more comfortable with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and, and allowing the Spirit to shine in our lives. So I want to point out a few really cool traits of the Holy Spirit to begin with to hopefully begin to help you uh, to understand about what the Holy Spirit does. So first of all, the Holy Spirit comforts. Okay, Jesus is speaking to His disciples not long before he would be killed. And, and uh, I, I brought, brought these verses up last week as well when I was talking about eternal security. But Jesus is preparing his disciples for when he would be gone. And he wants to know that he's, you know, he's not just leaving them high and dry, that there's a comforter coming. And this comforter is going to help them when he's gone. Uh, I like how the King James uh, Version translates this. Um, it says, if ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Okay, the comforter is the Holy Spirit. The NIV calls it a counselor, um, but I, I really like that description of comforter. The word for comforter here comes from the Greek word parakletos. Um, the root word is paraklete, and not parakeet, but paraklete. Uh, it comes from two words, actually, para, which is to come alongside. You, you've heard of, of parachurch organizations, and they aren't churches, but they come alongside churches. 
For example, we support Koinonia Campus Ministry at our church, and they have come alongside the church to minister to college students at Missouri Southern. And then kletos comes from the Greek word kaleo, which means called. So uh, paraklete, or paraklete, the, whole, the Holy Spirit, literally means the one who calls you and comes alongside of you. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and comforts us when we need comfort. And not only does the Spirit come alongside, He teaches and reminds. Okay, John 14, 26 says, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. Okay, Jesus had been teaching the disciples for three years, and, and it was a lot to process, and, and they still had a lot to learn. Jesus said, It's okay. The Holy Spirit uh, will keep teaching you and reminding you of what you've learned. Okay, and I, and I think He still teaches us today and, and reminds us. There, there have been many times when I've recalled a scripture passage in a certain situation, and, and I think it was the Spirit bringing that passage back to mind. I also think the Spirit teaches us through prayer and, and, and through God's Word, and so helping us to understand and, and learn from it. And so the Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us, and, and the Spirit also guides us. Okay, this is Jesus speaking again, preparing His followers for His departure, uh, moving up to John 16, verse 13. It says, but, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. So the Spirit of truth is another description of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus promises that the Spirit will guide you in the truth. One time my dad and I wanted to go uh, striped bass fishing at, at Beaver Lake, and, and uh, neither of us had done that before, so we hired a guide for the day. And, and he knew where to take us and, and how to catch them. And he also knew every different way to use profanity. Okay, he was very creative in his profanity use, but that's another story. Uh, but he guided us. The, the Holy Spirit wants to help guide and navigate our lives. And the Spirit also convicts. Okay, back in John 16 again, verse 7 and 8, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay, as Jesus talks to his father, he's telling them that, you know, basically this is a good thing. That, you know, that he's leaving and... You know, it's hard, but, but there's good to it, too, because they will get the Holy Spirit. It wasn't going to come until Jesus was gone. And so instead of Him guiding them in person, the Holy Spirit will help guide them, and the Holy Spirit can be everywhere. But then He adds that the Holy Spirit will also serve to convict the world. Okay, I think still today, for those who are not Christians and they decide they need Christ, there's a point in time when they, ha they are convicted of the sin in their life. Now, we don't you know, think we need Jesus if we don't think we're sinners, usually. It's kind of the idea that you can't be saved until you realize you're lost. And then once we're followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit is still working to convict us of the sin in our lives. Because the sin doesn't automatically go away just because you are a Christian, right? Have you ever felt just a, a conviction about something in your life and you just felt like, you know, something wasn't right or, or you needed to make something right and and I think that's the Holy Spirit convicting you uh, of the sin in your life. 
And you can ignore that conviction and even become, I think, less sensitive to it. Or you can listen to it and grow in your faith through that conviction of sin. And so those are a few traits of the Holy Spirit, benefits of having God living within us. But here's the thing overall. I think the goal is to live a life completely filled with the Spirit. Okay, a life with the Spirit just kind of oozing out of everything we do. Okay, when, when I, I preach, I, I pray that I'm speaking the words that the Spirit wants me to speak. As did the, the preacher in this story. Wilma had been a member of his church for many, many years. Uh, in her later years, she needed the assistance of a cane to help in walking. As she was talking with the minister after the service, she would often make points by lightly tapping him on the chest or shoulder with the handle of her cane. One Sunday after the morning worship service, he was standing at the back of the sanctuary when Wilma hobbled up to him and said, that was a pretty good sermon. Trying to be humble, the minister said, well, thank you, Wilma, but it wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit. Without batting an eye, she tapped him in the middle of the chest with her cane and said, oh no, if it, if it was the Holy Spirit, it would have been a lot better than that. I can relate to that at times. As Christians, we want the Spirit to fill every aspect of our lives. Paul says this in Ephesians 5.18, Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, don't you either have it or, or you don't have it? And I would say yes. Uh, but I think you can easily suppress the Spirit in your life or limit what the Spirit can do. And, and I think this is an interesting comparison here in our verse. Paul compares drunkenness to being filled with the Spirit. So why did he use that comparison? Well, when you're drunk, you're, you're said to be under the influence of alcohol, right? Uh, it's controlling you instead of you being in control of yourself. If someone gets pulled over, has been drinking, and the officer asks, have you been drinking tonight? And they say, no, officer, I haven't been drinking. If that's the way they respond, you can be pretty sure that they are under the influence of alcohol. And people do dumb things when they're under the influence of alcohol. They don't act like their normal selves. The alcohol is a bad influence on them. Some of you could probably tell some stories here today from your past, but, but we won't go there. Uh, but there are good influences and bad influences. Parents, there might be some, some of your kids' friends who you'd prefer for your kids to not hang out with very much because you, you feel like they're a bad influence. And you hope that your kid is not the one who is the bad influence, right? You guys might have some friends yourself who, who you know that you probably shouldn't hang around with much because uh, they're, they're a bad influence on you. Maybe they're even to toxic to you. But you guys probably also have some people in your life who have been a really positive influence on you. Uh, they've been great role models for you, and, and most of you have been a very positive influence on many other people as well. So being under the influence can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what it is. To be filled with the Spirit means to be under the influence of or under the control of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. And, and the literal translation of the Greek word uh, for be filled here in this verse is a, a continual thing. Okay, To be filled is a progressive work. There, there's a continual filling of the Spirit. It's not just a one-time event. It's not just... You know, you, you have one big meal of the Holy Spirit and then you're good to go. It should be a continual filling of the Spirit. And that is what we're seeking with the Holy Spirit, to, to daily be filled. Okay, not just every now and then, but just to daily have that Spirit 
oozing out of us, like I said. So, so how do we do that? How do we live a, a spirit-filled life? First of all, be filled with the Word. Okay, there's a verse in Colossians 3.16 that says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So the Greek wording of this passage is actually very similar to our Ephesians passage about being filled with the Spirit. They're considered parallel passages. The difference is that in this passage it's saying to, to be filled with the Word, and in the Ephesians passage it says to be filled with the Spirit. So we can reasonably conclude that to be filled with the Word is to be filled with the Spirit, and, and vice versa. H.A. Ironside described the connection like this. There's an old rule in mathematics that things equal to the same thing are equal to one another. If to be filled with the Word is equal in results to being filled with the Spirit, then it should be clear that the Word-filled Christian is the Spirit-filled Christian. As the Word of Christ dwells in us richly, controls all our ways, as we walk in obedience to the Word, the Spirit of God fills, dominates, and controls us to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's a good, good description, I think. So since one of God's primary ways to speak to us today is through His Word, the Bible, in order to be filled with the Spirit, we need to fill ourselves up with the message of His Word, right? Okay, just makes sense. They go hand in hand. So first of all, to live a Spirit-filled life, we need to be filled with the Word. And then we need to yield to the Spirit. Okay, yield is the key word there. Here's what I mean. On, on our own, we can easily head down the wrong path. Okay, our sinful nature will tend to lead us astray every time. If we see a yield sign on a road, it's telling us to yield to other traffic. If, if another car is coming from a certain direction, you need to yield to that car. If you don't, uh, there could easily be an accident. When we yield to the Spirit, we're saying, okay, Spirit, you go first. I'll follow. Uh, I'll follow your lead. Romans 8.5 says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Okay, left on our own, we would tend to go one direction. And it's not the right one. But if, if we are living in tune with the Spirit, we would hear it say, No, don't go that way, dummy. Go that way. Um, and I understand this is easier said than done. It's like, you know, admitting that we're lost and, and none of us really like to do that. But the Spirit knows what is best for us. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to yield to the Spirit. And then a similar one is, is that to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to let the Spirit guide you. Okay, Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. To live a Spirit-filled life, you allow the Spirit to guide you. A lot of times people get lost in the wilderness because they, they don't know the area well and they get turned around and they end up wandering around lost. They need a guide, even if the guide is just a compass to help them. You know, if you go into that same area with a guide, you'll, you'll be just fine. You, you can enjoy God's creation all around you. Life is good. You won't get lost. I recently watched a show called The, the World's Toughest Race. And it took place in Fiji, and there were teams of four. And most of the race took place in the jungles of Fiji. And, and several of the teams got very lost in the jungle. But they were allowed to hire local Fiji people to guide them at times. And when they did that, it made a huge difference because the local people knew the way to go. 
It was no problem for them. If we will let the Spirit guide our lives, we will have, our lives will have direction and meaning. It, it might not always be the easiest path or even the safest path, safest path, but it will be the best path. Okay, you can count on that. A Spirit-filled life is the best path. In the summer of 1872, near Dublin, Ireland, two prominent evangelists were discussing ministry. The two men were the British evangelist Henry Varley and the renowned American evangelist Dwight L. Moody. Their conversation contains one of the best-remembered quotes attributed to the life and times of Moody. The remark affected him for the rest of his life. The morning after an all-night prayer meeting, as the two men strolled around the grounds of the mansion where the meeting had been held, Varley uttered a brief but thought-provoking statement to Moody. And this is how Moody recorded it in one of his diaries. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Moody then added, A man. Varley meant any man. Varley didn't say he had to be educated or, or brilliant or anything else. Just a man. Well, by the Holy Spirit in me, I'll be that man. Henry Varley's words became indelibly fixed in Dwight Moody's heart in, in his mind, and, and they were a tremendous motivation for the, the, this gifted American evangelist's final corner set, quarter century of his life. Friends, here's the thing. I believe that very few of us ever truly experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We seem to be content with a, a little dose of the Spirit here, maybe a little dose there, but man, I don't want a little dose of the Holy Spirit. I want the whole thing, don't you? I think God is waiting to unleash incredible things in our lives and, and in the church if we allow the Spirit to fully work in our lives. It's not something to be scared about. It's something to be excited about. Excited about the possibilities of what God could do through us if we allow Him to. Most of you have, had, have at some time fed baby food to a baby. Maybe it's oatmeal or, or peaches or applesauce or green bees or peas, whatever it might be, mushy stuff. Most of it's gross. Um, but have you noticed that the regardless of what you're feeding a baby, if the child does not want to eat that food, his, his or her entire body gets engaged in the struggle. The, the jaws become tight, and letting nothing enter the mouth, and, and the head goes back and forth, and and the spoonful headed for the mouth hits the ear instead, and a small hand pushes the, the spoonful of mushy peas into your lap. And if any food miraculously makes it past the lips, it's pushed back out or spit back out. You've been there. But babies need to eat. Okay, good nutrition is important for the growth and development of every infant. However, no, no matter how hard we try, and regardless of how tasty the food may be, unless the baby is willing to eat, you cannot fill it with food. Now when the same baby is hungry or, or thirsty or likes the food, they take it right in. They, they can't get it fast enough, bite after bite. It's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Similarly, the Holy Spirit does not force himself to fill us. Okay, we have to desire it. We have to allow it. You know, in the same way that a baby needs to have a, a desire for food to be willing to eat, we must also crave the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to completely be filled with the Spirit. 
And so I pray today that, that all of us who are Christians, who have the Spirit living in them, won't be intimidated or scared by the Spirit, but excited to be completely filled by God living in us. May we all realize what an incredible and amazing thing that is. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you have given us this guide, this comforter, this convictor who will teach us and show us the way. And I pray that we will uh, desire to, to allow the Spirit to work in our lives, to completely just flow out of us. And the people around us will just think, man, what's going on? What's different about them? And so, Lord, fill us with your Spirit. We thank you so much. Thank you for your love. You're an awesome and, and amazing God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So thanks again for joining us today, and, and I pray that you'll be overflowing with the Spirit this week. Take care and, and have a Spirit-filled week.